Welcome back to Fun Views Podcast. I'm your host, Greg Pops. Today, we're interviewing Michael Brown, one of the founders and managing partners of Bowery Capital out of New York City. Mike worked for the investment arm of Richard Branson's Virgin Group and AOL Ventures before leaving to start his own venture capital firm with a focus on business software. Mike speaks about the systematic approach to raising capital, the importance of mentorship, and the challenges of starting a fund at a younger age than investors usually expect. Hi, Mike. How are you? Good. So to start, just tell me a little bit about your background and, and you know, where are you from? What did you study? You know, what brought you into the world of investments? Sure. So thank you for having me on. I appreciate it. I am from Bergen County, New Jersey. Uh, I, I was sort of born and raised a little bit outside of New York City. I've really never left. So I had an opportunity to go to Columbia, uh, took it and, uh, you know, spent four years there. And then I've been in, in the city ever since. So I've stayed very, very close to the New York tri-state area. Um, in school, I, I really focused on my course of study in ancient history and, and history more broadly, and then uh, political science and, and, you know, the kind of sub-segment of political science that was more international. Um, and so Columbia as a, as a liberal arts institution is, is excellent for that. And, and I really, really enjoyed it. Um, how I got into investments is an odd question <laughs> to ask me. I really had tinkered a fair amount in college. I, I helped a friend start a business and sort of gain some interest in entrepreneurship. Um, I had I had watched from afar the the technology industry and its advancement. Um, I, it would be a lie to say that I I sort of gained an interest in investments in college. I, I didn't come from an economics background or or study that. Um, the the basic gist is mostly due to peer pressure and what my uh, father had done, you know, there's this common heartbeat of conversation in, in a school like Columbia, which is when you graduate, you go and you work on wall street or you work at a consulting firm. Um, and so, you know, my view was that was a, a solid job opportunity, and I, you know, if I, if I could if I could get into a bulge bracket bank, uh, that that would be very very interesting. Um, more narrowly, you think a lot about what area of the bank you want to go into, and just that combination of technology and some sort of friends' points of view. I ended up in equity research. And so I, you know, basically started my career working for equity research analysts covering technology companies. I, I specifically sat within a group that covered electronics manufacturing service businesses, um, PCs, systems hardware companies, th those sorts of, of businesses. So I got to learn profit and loss statements of these companies, how, how they operate, uh, how they invest, you know, a lot of my work on um, the sell side was talking to, you know, people who were trading stocks. It was it was writing research on where technology was going. And so just to kind of circle back in terms of, um, you know, the, the answer to the question or maybe the, the transition from college to you know, where, where, where I ended up in equity research was I, I really felt, Hey, just thinking about this, uh, as a first step in my career, a, a well-known area of an investment bank combined with a, a place that will give me some liberal arts, um, content creation, creative writing sort of, um, output, but also, finance and financial analysis and corporate finance and that stuff. So that marriage to me was attractive and, and interesting. Um, so yeah, I, I, I kind of fell into it. Um, 
I'm, I'm failing to mention, but, but is important. I ended up at Morgan Stanley. So that's where I started my career. Mm -hmm. And, and, um, and yeah, that, that's kind of the origins story, I guess, into investments as you call it. Interesting. So, so it's almost like you, you didn't have the interest in investments until you landed that job in investments. (laughs) You kind of learned on the job that you enjoyed it really at that point. Yeah, there, I, I think there are aspects of any first job that that you enjoy. For me, it was the the writing piece of it. For me, it was thinking about the future and where the the mm-hmm. world was going to go. That there was a formative piece of research that Morgan Stanley put out every quarter called the Global Technology Data Book, and I, you know I was blessed to have worked on that and seen the viewpoints from all of the equity research analysts. So it was, it was a really, you know, engaging and, and uh, exciting experience for me as, as someone coming out of undergrad with no professional experience. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. And um, so what was like your, your, I guess you've already said this, your favorite part was really the writing aspect and the research aspect that, that kind of used your skills that you, that you gained in the liberal arts side, right? Yeah. I, just, the, just the fact that you could conceptualize, and again, I'm, I continue to narrow on technology because it is my area mm-hmm. of, of study and, you know, figuring out where the world was going to go and then being able to put that out to Morgan Stanley clients and getting phone calls as a follow-up to your research. I just, I just found that to be incredibly fascinating and exciting, um, uh, that, that you could do that. So. Great, great. And so, so, um, you know, what made you leave or, or what <laughs> kind of happened in the, in that time yeah. period and, you know, yeah, look, so for, for people listening, you'll notice that I spend uh, all of nine months at Morgan Stanley. And so I just <laughs> I just gave you this line of these these programs that are formulaic and, and uh, on campus and you're tr- you're trying hard to get into a bulge bracket bank. And usually the, the time vector is two years. I just got a very unique opportunity. And, and in life, I think you you. Uh, want to to take risks, and you you want to uh, you know find opportunities where if you're wrong you lose kind of one x, but if you're right you you gain a hundred x if it, if it works. Th- this this came across my desk. The basic background was um, there is a very famous British entrepreneur named Richard Branson. Most people will know him as the founder of the Virgin Group of Companies. M- many people can name brands like Virgin Atlantic and Virgin America and, and many more. You know, as, as a component of his wealth management, they, uh, at the management company level, had investment teams. That job was to invest his money in various areas, but also to help conceptualize and think about the future of Virgin Group and and new company creation uh, under the Virgin brand. So I I literally got a phone call from a recruiter at Glowcap who thought I might be interested in something like this. And the, the long story short was I interviewed for the position and got this job opportunity. Now, the consideration here was, okay, I'm going to, you know, I'm leaving early. What does that mean? The other consideration was I'm you're, you're moving from the sell side to, to the buy side and the, the role mm-hmm. is principal investing, but also new company formation. Um, a third component was the culture. Um, Morgan Stanley and Virgin differ greatly in their cultures and, and how they think about um, employee management and things like that. So if you, if you kind of put all of those pieces together, my feeling was, Hey, if this doesn't work, um, I leave or I get fired, uh, and I I can always go back to a bank or do do something you know that's that's um, consistent with where I've been. But if this does work, wow, that's you know I, I would be on a team making principal investments in companies. I would be helping shape the future of Virgin branded companies. 
that that's a risk you want to take in life, right? You you you, you kind of yeah. don't need to stay at Morgan Stanley for the two years uh, just just because you want to have linearity on your resume. Um, so anyway, so 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 I I left. I took this job, and really that was my starting point in venture capital and thinking, especially on the buy side, about entrepreneurship and investments. Um, and so, you know, people, people talk about um, the benefit of mentors and bosses in, in one's career trajectory. I, I was really blessed with a group of people that took me under their wing, understood the, the personality that I had and who I was, uh, allowed me to, you know, sort of go off on my own. And, and, and the independence was a big thing at Virgin. Um, and, and all of that really was extremely helpful in me developing a mental model for where I saw myself and, and what I wanted to do with, with my career. Um, I think a lot of times students don't, you know, you, you have incredible mental rigor throughout your academic experience and you're, you're analyzing and interpreting and you're achieving this deep understanding of a lot of complex things, but then you don't put in the time and effort to really figure out post-graduation where you want to be. Uh, you, you lack for internship experience, you lack for, um, you know, mental consideration, the classic theme you hear is, you know, oh, I don't know what I want to do, or, you know, oh, I'm one of these lost <laughs> souls who can't figure it out. And, and I don't want to say I was exactly in that, that um, uh, you know, thought bubble, but, but I was pretty close. I, I really didn't know uh, outside of technology and the writing piece and stuff that I had articulated. I, I was still very early in my journey. Um, and, and, and Virgin and, and this ecosystem was just perfect for me. And so, uh, and, and I had a, 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 a group of people who really supported me and, and helped me develop that mental model for what I wanted to do with, with the rest of my career. Um, and so just to maybe end on, okay, so you make this transition, um, what are you actually doing? So that group really was making what are called unbranded investments. So things that aren't called Virgin Group, whatever, you know, an airline or a mobile phone company mm -hmm. or uh, a bank. And uh, my expertise was obviously in technology and mostly in, in business software. And, and, and so um, those themes played out and, you know, make investment, principal investments in and around this. And that, that's where I learned the muscle of, sourcing investment opportunities, conducting due diligence on them, executing transactions, adding value to these businesses over time, and then hopefully exiting them for a lot of money. Um, so that was one half of, of what I was working on a team uh, achieving. The other half was more the entrepreneurship side, which was a lot of creative discussion around where Virgin Group was thinking of going, what new businesses they were considering launching, and from start to finish, essentially building a business plan to get approval to go ahead and start a company. Um, the, the natural gravitation for me, and again, the, I was really encouraged by my bosses to focus on this area, um, was the investment side. I just found it to be a lot more interesting. The fact that I could make a call again similar to the Morgan Stanley experience on where the world was going to go. But then now I could actually make an investment in that company. Wow. Mm -hmm. You know, that, that was amazing um, for me. Uh, and, and so, so I really, really enjoyed the investment side and helping these companies and growing these companies um, alongside a founder. I didn't really love the entrepreneurship side. My feeling was, you, you know, it's sort of, too focused on a singular mission and 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 an area i would i have a i ha have you know an add personality and so i like to be wider across a lot of different things um and, and so it just wasn't uh something that i enjoyed as much as the investing side so maybe i'll pause there but that gives you kind of a bridge to from morgan stanley to virgin group essentially 
Yeah. Yeah. It makes sense. I mean, it's, it sounds really interesting and, and um, you know, a couple of follow-up questions on, on that sort of bridge and, and, and uh, the difference between the two groups, I guess I'll call it. I mean, given that you're at Morgan Stanley for, for only about nine months, right. It's, it, you didn't have a ton of time to, to understand it, but you did mention that the, the culture, the company culture was very different. What was kind of the biggest difference that you, that you think between the two and biggest difference that you kind of liked or disliked? Yeah. Th- so, so the things that I enjoyed there were the structure. I enjoyed the allowance of that creativity. Uh, you know, I mentioned writing research and, and a lot mm-hmm. of, a lot of this, I, I did really enjoy my boss and, um, you know, are, are a few of, a few of the analysts that I worked for, um, again, talk about the importance of, of bosses. I mean, I remain extremely close friends with the person who is my immediate superior. Mm-hmm. Um, this person was in my wedding. I mean, you know, uh, very sort of helpful in my career and, and, and in shaping my career. So, so I, I don't think I had a bad experience. Um, I just got a unique opportunity. Um, but, but it is, yeah what you and your listeners would think it's a bulge bracket investment bank. It's rigid, it's focused, Mm -hmm. it's structured. And in some ways that can be difficult. Uh, and, and, and some people may not enjoy that at Virgin. The culture is way more entrepreneurial. It's way more creative. You are given much more freedom. It is an extremely rare place. And that's the reason I think why Virgin Ha, the brand has continued to resonate with consumers, has had enormous longevity. I mean, I mean, the group was started in the early 1970s. You know, you think you think about the, the shelf life of any brand today and, and the fact that the group has created, you know, tens uh, of billions of dollars of value uh, among hundreds of companies is just uh, mind boggling. And, and so, uh, the, 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 that really resonated with me more than the, the high structure, high rigidity of a, of a bulge bracket bank. Yeah. You get your freedom. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I mean, look, this all comes full circle. We ended up when we founded Bowery Capital, considering the same ideas and Hey, we, we mm-hmm. want to build a culture that stands for certain things what do we want to mirror ourselves like and what do we not want to mirror ourselves like? And we essentially called yeah. up the former chief marketing officer of Virgin Group. We made him a operating advisor to our firm and he really was influential and helpful in us developing our mission, our values, and our vision. And so we have a document that drives employee onboarding, and every single mm-hmm. quarter we revisit it. So we're all on the same page. That's called the Bowery Manifesto. That is largely born out of my personal experience and, you know, successful employee experience at Virgin, basically. That's interesting. Yeah, re- really interesting. So I got to ask you this question. Do you ever, uh, did you ever re- ever meet? I have Richard met Richard Branson. Branson yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, uh, you know, is he interesting? I, I'm sure he's I'm yeah, sure it was very um, interesting. Regardless, very even creative. if you're Yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah, I mean if you just shake his hand, you'll remember that one. You will. He he has a certain profile about <laughs> him. Um but yeah, br- uh, you know, br- brilliant product mind, incredible thinker around value proposition to a customer, necessity for innovation mm-hmm. on all parts of a business model. Um and, and, and just, you know, a, a, br- a brilliant creative that's, that's uh, had a grounding in business and turned it into to ultimate success. Interesting. Yeah, great. Um, so what, what, what was next for, uh, for, the, um, for your background? You know, you, you, you stayed there for a few years, right? Three, four years? Correct. Yeah. It? So, so the, the, the sort of initial... So, so my transition is, you know, college to, to a bulge bracket investment bank. And then my, my transition is really, um, from the bank to, to, uh, Virgin. And the consistency here is really only technology. 
uh, I went mm-hmm. I went from equity research into to sort of venture capital and entrepreneurship. I again reiterating what I said, I really did the mental math to determine I really like this VC thing. I want to do this from a career standpoint. So any opportunity that comes my way, I will consider it. But if it doesn't index towards principal investing in early stage technology companies, it is unli- unlikely to be to be relevant for me. Of course, I'm giving you a blanket statement. I tinkered and yeah. learned over a number of years that this was something I wanted to do. I had the input from my bosses. Hey, Mike, you're, you know, you're getting good at this. You should really consider a career here. You, you talk about the, the value of mentors and, and bosses and one of the biggest ways can just be their encouragement, right? I mean, keeping you in the, moving in the right direction and telling you what you're being successful at and where, where you have gaps is just incredibly important. Um, so uh, but by the time I kind of realized that, um, I, I basically said, hey, okay, I, I have a lot of self-belief to begin with, and I think I'd be good in a more senior role in venture capital. I will sort of consider and think about moving more directly into that ecosystem. And so mm-hmm. I basically did a number of coffee chats and and friend discussions with with people the sort of raising my hand but not outwardly saying i want to leave a job my interest was moving into to vc full time doing this from a from a, a career standpoint i had matured at at virgin and obviously had um you know some level of seniority where another sort of unique opportunity came across my desk. I I had been interviewing and looking at a number of places, but the one that rose to the top was this corporate venture capital opportunity. Essentially, the story is America Online, which which some of your listeners may be familiar with, had sat for a number of years within Time Warner. The business was being spun out to become a publicly traded company, a standalone company. And they had an interest and ambition to formulate a venture capital fund, you know, capitalize an entity and invest in technology companies that uh, sat within their orbit, let's call it. And again, you you talk about kind of bosses and and people that Mm -hmm. really steer you in the right direction. And I ended up meeting a person who reported directly to the CEO, Tim Armstrong, had been a, been a close friend of Tim's for many years. We really hit it off, a gentleman named John Broad. Um, and, you know, I kind of knew this was the next step for me. I felt, look, if this doesn't work, you know, God forbid AOL thinks that I'm an idiot or, or this, this operation mm-hmm. is silly. Um, 1x downside. I, I, can, I can still probably get a job in VC. I might be able to go back to Virgin, but gosh, if this works, I will have the ability to create a new entity, invest money in startup companies that in areas that I know, hire in a team, do all these things, you know, hundred X upside on, on that from a career standpoint. Yeah. Um, so after a bunch of discussion, I was hired in, in early 2010, they uh, capitalized an entity in March of uh, 2010. Um, 10 and we were off and running investing. Um, I, I stayed very close in my decision with my prior bosses. Uh, you know, I, I, I mentioned and continue to reflect on their impact on me, but look, I didn't want to rub people the wrong way. I felt that, um, I wanted to have a good transition and be friendly. Mm-hmm. Um, and look, it, what, what, en- what eventually it came down to was I remember a meeting with, my boss, where I exposed that I was going to go do this. And it was almost an obvious transition for him. He said, you should totally go do this. This is great. And again, so just to speak to having people in your life who really support you and help you grow, this was sort of one of, one of the few people that, that remains a friend and has been very influential in my career. Um, so AOL 2010, 
capitalized this entity called AOL Ventures. Mm-hmm. And the gist is, as I had described, you know, founding member of the team, one mm-hmm. of the two partners in the firm, job was to make principal investments in, in, in startups. Again, I had done the mental modeling to determine I want to go full, full into VC. I love this. I think I want to do this from a career standpoint. Uh, and it's for me. And so that kind of takes us to the AOL piece of my career. Maybe just a step back to, to kind of the, the highest level here. There's a lot of inconsistency with my background and I'm being very open <laughs> and, and sort of saying, look, I, I don't, you know, there were a lot of things that I didn't know. And I, I think people try and weave this beautiful narrative together. My career is definitely erratic. I definitely got extremely lucky that these opportunities came across uh, my plate. Um, the list goes on and on. But I will say there's a couple of consistencies, right? Technology has always been singular in my career. I haven't mm-hmm. really done anything except work in the technology industry and really the, the business to business industry. I, I, I don't know anything about consumer internet or um, mobile applications. All my expertise is in business software and, and you know, the, those sort of companies. So that's one consistency. Um, the second I would say is just, you know, investing. You, you talk about this word investing mm-hmm. first on the sell side, then on the buy side. I've always kind of been in, you know, that world. Um, so, so that's kind of the second big consideration uh, that, that you want to think about. And then kind of midway through career, really figuring out the, the, the who do I want to be when I grow up or, or what do I think yeah. from a success standpoint is going to um, make me happy. And, and so maybe, so I'll pause there, but that's kind of a little bit of that. Yeah. Yeah. That de- definitely makes sense. And I think, you know, some of the other, you know, based on my listening side, some of the, some of the other, um, you know, themes I would call it is, is mentorship for sure. Um, and, and sort of, um, figuring out being sort of self-reflective and figuring out that you did or didn't want to work or in, in some area or for some group. Right. So yeah, maybe exactly. Maybe some, some, some of the listeners and some people out there and, you know, whether it be students or, or, um, professionals, you know, maybe don't take the time to self-reflect maybe as much as you did, which was what gave you that the ability to sort of, um, as you say, build your own narrative, right. Build, build sort of a track of in hindsight, 2020, I get it, but you know, you have built this sort of track of, of who you want it to be. Um, yeah. And I think, look, a lot of, a lot of, not to, not to use the common refrain that I hear from students when they ask my advice, but I, I would almost say doing the, the mental modeling and understanding earlier in your collegiate career what excites you and what angers you or pisses you off and just, you know, just write it yeah. down is going to be beneficial as you think yeah. about internships you might want to explore or mm. risks you might want to take. And again, most of this is going to be a learned experience. You're going to write some stuff down and then maybe you'll have some exploration through an internship or a class or yeah. a work study program. And then you'll say, actually, no, that's wrong. And you'll cross it off. Or you'll say, oh, that, yeah, th- th- this thing, I really love doing this thing. And you'll sort of circle it on the page. But just doing that, I think, is way more beneficial. And it's going to allow you to not say things like, I don't know, you know, shrug shoulders and I don't know what I want to do, uh, type of thing. Um, yeah. So, yeah, it makes sense. So, so from there, uh, you know, it seems like, you know, the other sort of, um, uh, the, the other, uh, category that I would say or theme common theme is moving more and more, uh, responsibility and more and more autonomy sort of in, in your work, in your career. Um, obviously the next step would be start something yourself, right? Um, yeah. Brings us so, to Bowery. <laughs> right. So, so AOL Ventures again was a, was an excellent proving ground. And I think we proved ourselves well. And the basic idea transitioning from AOL Ventures to, to Bowery Capital is part of the team internally had thought through two big things. One, 
our focus in business software was getting outside of the the scope of AOL Ventures and what we were doing. More tactically, our focus had been around the marketing technology stack, just given that was very supportive of AOL. And we did see a massive opportunity as legacy replacement cycles were happening in a in broader business software. Um, it's hard to talk about this stuff today because it's so glamorous and everybody knows software as a service and B2B <laughs> is are excellent businesses. But just go back to 2012, 2013, a lot of this was just in the data and in the early successes in the ecosystem. And so we had just watched as digital transformation journeys were happening within the Fortune 500 and how many companies they were swapping, you know, sort of legacy to next gen. Our view was, gosh, this is going to be an enormous area of value creation in the next 10 years. And we think it's the greatest place to make money in venture capital. So Mm -hmm. the first big thought bubble with, with, the founding members of Bowery was, hey, we just can't do what we want to do here within AOL Ventures. The second was less self-serving and the reality of corporate venture capital, which was it had sort of run its course at that point. Our feeling was we had achieved success. We had made investments that had materially upgraded and helped AOL we had done everything that we said we were going to do and you know okay what wh- what what are we really sticking around here for both from our standpoint but also from AOL's standpoint um not not sure they really needed us so again t- talking about the value of exiting companies with dignity and friendship we went mm-hmm. back to AOL and we said here's what we want to do which was the original deck for Bowery Capital and we said I, you know, I'm paraphrasing, but um, look, you can fire us tomorrow and tell us to get get out of the office. Uh, you can also say, now is a logical transition time and we would like to help you in that transition. And I think the, the, the morals of that team and the ethics of that team were were incredible and and they really enjoyed what we had accomplished where they said, we would love to be supportive is there, you know, are, are there ways that we can be helpful? And the first way that they could be helpful was smoothing the transition, mostly in the form of them being a reference so that when we mm-hmm. went out to raise our first fund, they, they, um, they uh, s- said, yes, this team did this and they, they succeeded here uh, to, to ease concerns. The second thing, which they did not have to do whatsoever, and we appreciate to this day, I'm not sure we would be in business if they did not do this, but they ended up investing actually in uh, uh, Bowery Capital One, our first fund, which was yeah. was incredible. And so, you know, you talk about the 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 icing on the cake. I mean, that's truly something that we did not anticipate, and and they were they were amenable to, and then got over the line uh, as a large corporation. I will emphasize, just having reflected over a number of years. There are very, very, very few examples of this sort of corporate venture capital spin mm-hmm. a, spin out thing uh, uh, in in the in the broad ecosystem. It's very, very rare. Um, and, and look, my, my, I'll just close on this before we get to Bowery. But my my lessons there were really twofold. One was we as a team did waver a bit in our consideration as to whether this, you know, was something that, that we could, um, uh, could do. And I got a, a lot of advice from one general partner, uh, fa- founder of a firm called True Ventures, a gentleman named John Callahan, when he, when he was talking to me in 2012 about, you know, the founding of True Ventures and, and that firm, with a colleague of his, Phil Black. And, and he, he said it to me, I think, in a really good way that has stuck with me, which was our feeling was, you know, 
we would look at our lives 10, 20, 30 years from now and be kicking ourselves if we didn't at least try to do this thing that we think is so amazing. So for mm-hmm. us, it was part burning passion, but sincere regret if we, if we didn't do it. Um, yeah. so, so one of the things for me coming, you know, and then I had a lot of conversations, but John's remained a mentor and a friend, uh, was that, that is important. You know, gosh, if, if you, if you have regrets when you're 50, 60, 70, 80, that's going to be a real issue. And so you should do these things, um, again, go back to risk-taking, go back, go back to sort of force multipliers in, in people's life. Um, so, so that really hit home to me. Um, the, the second thing was the, the youth quotient here. And again, you, you can Google around and see, see our backgrounds and, and how old we were when we formed Bowery. And, <laughs> and this, this concept of being um, willful, I'll say, is really important. Um, you know, I, I just think people have enormous capacity to make stuff happen. And if you really really, really work your tail off, um, you know, sort of the world kind of reorients itself around you. I'm, I'm paraphrasing a Mark Andreessen Mm -hmm. quote, but, but it's really, really important. If you set your mind to something, um, you know, you, you, you can do it, you know, uh, there a lot, there'll be a lot of self doubt. You make, you know, you don't never want to give up too early, but if you push hard and you persevere, a lot of times this stuff can happen and you have the capacity to do it. So we got a lot of this like, hey, you're too young. This is never going to work. What, you know, you've only been B2B investing for a couple of years, all this stuff. And, um, you know, J- John's advice on, man, you'd have a severe regret if you didn't go off and try and do this combined with the willfulness of the team. We basically got, got that, that first fund formed. Uh, using that. That's great. Yeah. And that, that was going to be my, my next question is, is sort of what's the, uh, the most difficult part, but, you know, before we get to that, also the, the fact that you guys were so young, you know, to, to launch it, I, I was going to ask, you know, did you get a lot of people, you know, stomping their nose up and, and sort of, you know, oh, you need more gray hair before you, you know, manage our money sort of thing. Yeah. So quick color commentary on our first fund. We took about 160 initial meetings, mm-hmm. and those were about 30 to 45 minute pitches on this is what we're doing. Here's our thesis. Here's how we're thinking about things. The sort of conversion there was roughly 20 groups actually paid attention to us and spent the time with us, and uh, basically five said yes. So 150, 160 to five. Yeah. (laughs) And I, I don't, I don't look at other data sets to know, but I can tell you it was brutal for us. I can tell you it was, it was extremely challenging. I can tell you a lot of people did feel that our inexperience was one thing to pass on. Mm-hmm. A lot of people felt, you know, this was a corporate venture thing. What is that? You know, are these people really doing this stuff? Uh, was was kind of an, another piece. So, um, you know, and there there might have been a few more reasons to pass on 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 our first fund. But <laughs> uh, again, be willful and 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 persevere. And so for us, there was no way we were not going to get in business. Um, we ran a very tight and, and, uh, and serious process, which I think elevated us in, in the market. Uh, mm-hmm. we had, we had, you know, talk about the importance of focus and of specialization. We're as specific as it gets. We only make seed investments in business software companies, and we only help those companies with go to market and, and commercialization. We do nothing else. So we can build enormous competitive advantage and seriousness of purpose because we're only investing in one style, one component of the asset class, only helping in one way. It's, it's designed to be highly focused and extremely specialized. And so for a lot of, of LPs, limited mm-hmm. partners, people who give us money, they wanted more diversity. They wanted more generalists. They wanted more, less, less specialization. So. Interesting. Yeah, that makes sense. And, and just to touch lastly on the, um, 
the five that said yes, is is their background, do you think, have anything to do with the reason why they said yes? Do you think it's like it's people that started something themselves when they were younger or entrepreneurs that that knew that, you know, or, or recognized something in you? What, what was the reason, do you think? Well, I don't know why people said no. I mean, you always <laughs> you always get these answers that are are yeah, you don't know if fairly, it's true or not, right? Fairly vanilla, right? So, yeah. but but look, I I can read between the lines. I think a lot of it was our inexperience. I think some of it was maybe they didn't do everything they said they they did at at AOL Ventures. A, another piece was just a un right. We 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 had not pro- yet proven the track record question out at, at, uh, AOL yeah. ventures. So yeah. there, there were various reasons to pass that we, we received. I'd like to think that all of them were, were genuine. Um, and, and we've certainly stayed close to many limited partners sure. that, that sure. have passed on our firm. Um, the people that said, yes. Yeah. I think, I think it's a combination of very significant, knowledge and probably prior returns mm-hmm. in in business software and in b2b investing so when we would walk in the room people would say yep totally got the thesis completely understand it tell me how tell me what you're going to do tell me how this is going to work um so so had made money in our ecosystem before the second was many many of our initial partners had a discrete strategy on seed stage venture capital and specialized venture capital. So we fit mm-hmm. that model nicely. Um, we have this, this component to our effort called the acceleration team, which sort of helps companies after we invest. This is not a, a um, uh, you know, t- today everybody does this in, in venture. I think there are mm-hmm. hundreds of platform people in the ecosystem but in 2013, there were not as many firms that were doing this. Um, and the firms that were doing this were very wide with where they were going to provide value. So our idea was be really focused and very specific about go-to-market and commercialization of soft business software companies. And we think we can build a competitive advantage there where founders want to take our money. That was somewhat novel at the time. Got it. And so, um, fast forward to today, what's, um, <laughs> what's going on over at Bowery and, and what, uh, you know, what fund are you on fund two or three or, or what, how's that look? Yeah. So we're investing out of our second fund. Now that mm-hmm. fund is a $60 million fund. So we've, we've graduated a little bit in terms of the size of fund and, and deployment in terms of initial check size into early stage software companies. But the core ideas remain the same. We're, we are all business software all the time. We still think it is the greatest area of value creation in entrepreneurship and in venture capital today. And we've yet to be proven wrong, just given the publicly traded comparables all the way down to, to thousands of software companies that are building great businesses, um, both in and out of our portfolio. Um, we are still, so, so we're very thesis driven as a, as a first beat. The second beat is we're still very focused on adding value around go-to-market and around you know commercialization and the revenue line of a company. We think founders need time savings, cost savings. They need a lot of leverage in the first one to two years. And if we can provide that around the revenue line in a very tactical and focused way, we can be very, very helpful um, in, in, you know, achievement of whatever their goals are, revenue or next round of financing or whatever. Um, and yeah, t- teams remained relatively consistent. Um, mm-hmm. So overall, the theme, the theme with Bowery is we, we're, we're, we're staying true to what we said we were going to do. We're, we're trying very hard to be a specialized and focused business software investor at the seed stage and just get really, really, really good at that. Good, good. And has the team grown uh, much over the years or you'd stay kind of? No, honestly, the team has stayed between four and five people since inception. Obviously, we grew a little bit from fund one to fund two. But the reality is, is we're we're boutique and and Mm -hmm. we want to be boutique. And so you'll you'll 
rarely, if ever, see us get get much larger than we are today. Got it. And part of that, I'm sure, is is the deals um, got bigger, but the amount of deals you're doing are probably pretty consistent, I assume, right? Yeah, our asset allocation strategy, the way to think about us is 25 to 30 initial investments, mm-hmm. and then basically following on into the Series A and the Series B based on a number of different dynamics. We lead everything that we do. So all our, our firm level perspective is all of the money is made on the buy if you're an institutional VC fund, meaning you manage money for other people, we, we find it very difficult to generate, you know, top 5% performance if we're not leading everything and we're not, you know, owning 10 to 20% of a company from, from the initial investment. Um, you know, if you follow the success of, of VC, we're, we're, you know, dead set on, on, uh, making those initial investments, buying up as much equity as possible, and then defending our position into, into the winning companies over the next few rounds of financing. Um, so that's kind of the gist of, of our asset allocation strategy and how we work. Yeah, interesting. Um, and, and so lastly, on, um, on Barry, kind of what, if you can, I'm not sure if you want to divulge this, but maybe, maybe on some of the fund one investments, what is your favorite has been your favorite investment it doesn't have to be the best performing but you know the most interesting one that kind of makes sense that that you really really enjoyed yeah my favorite investment from fund one is a company called ferro labs f-e-r-o-l-a-b-s and so what when you look at our firm the origins are really around the marketing and the technology stack of a corporation so how, how does a chief marketing officer or a chief technology officer spend money? And let's go and invest in those areas where they're upgrading legacy software. Around 2015, 2016, we started thinking more broadly, you know, s- staying within our core focus of business software. But mm-hmm. really, what are some industries or some ecosystems that are getting disrupted by technology, maybe set a different way or a more polite way? Who's going? Who's really going through digital transformation in a very big way? One of the ecosystems we arrived on was manufacturing, and you know, um, think of a factory. Could be mm-hmm. any factory. They use a core set of systems. Uh, you know, many many uh, factories have have upgraded to technology. So it's not like they have no technology in the factory. Um, And our feeling was that they would continue to to upgrade uh, technology over the years. And so one area in particular that we looked at was um, what I'd call process manufacturing. Um, And so think chemical plant, steel mill, uh, oil refinery, what have you. And the, the impact of machine learning and machine intelligence in that space. And that led us to this investment in Ferro Labs. And essentially what this company does is use machine learning to optimize factory production. So if I can change or enhance the inputs uh, around mm-hmm. the process, I can then deliver better output uh, or, or better might not be the right word, um, more more productive, less loss ratio in terms of my output. Um, and -hmm. so that's the idea with this business. And, and it's just such a cool product. You can install this, um, over a number of days in a factory and to watch data science teams at companies, um, like Gerdau and, um, AXA Nobel and Covestro and Uniper and others Mm -hmm. see this in action. Uh, is just incredible and and really 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 amazing. Our our firm mission is really around the the entrepreneurs we invest in change the way businesses operate for the better. And this mm-hmm. is like a prime example of that. Um, these are people who are struggling to pull data out of really really difficult systems. Some of them are just using clipboards to manage this stuff. It's very, very inefficient, and a company like Ferro Labs really upgrades that uh, in an enormous, enormous way. So 
Um, that's my favorite investment. Great. Sounds really, really interesting. Um, so last question, I'll let you go, Mike. Um, what, uh, if you could give advice and, and normally, you know, in the past I've asked, give advice to students or, or whatever. In this case, if you could give advice to someone that's, that's trying to start something themselves, like an entrepreneur, what would you give any sort of advice? That's a really broad <laughs> ask. Yeah. Um, look, I think, I think there, uh, Michael Sippy, who is a partner at Y Combinator has a wonderful post around, I think it's called get in the van or, or I have to, I have to check exactly what the name of the post is. But mm-hmm. I think before you go down the road of starting a company, I would do a lot of customer research or prospect research. And I would do that in a primary versus secondary manner. I would get in the van, which is his kind of um, descriptor and, and get out there and talk to people. And I think that number needs to be in the tens, but probably in the, in the uh, you know, hundreds to really, really get a grasp of product orientation and true customer need. I think mo- the, 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 the sort of highest rate of failure in our portfolio and probably echoed across all of venture capital is companies fail because they run out of money. And why do mm-hmm. they run out of money? Mostly because they don't achieve product market fit and their go-to-market has not been rigorous enough around truly determining whether there's a customer need here. Um, and so I think first I would say, have you done that work and have you done that research to really both increase your passion but figure out if there's a there there. Um, and then the second thing, again, I just hate to go back to the kind of being, being willful <laughs> thing, uh, but I think it's true. A lot of people just don't end up starting companies because they talk themselves out of it and they just don't think that they can do it. And I'd say, you know, get that out of your mind. You, you absolutely can. The only way you're going to find out is if you actually go and try. So, so, sort of be a doer and, and, um, just, just get off the ground and get moving basically. Great. Well, thanks again for, um, for joining on the podcast and, and for the support and, and, uh, all of the knowledge and insight that you provided. Um, really, really appreciate it. Of course. Thank you for having me. Greg. Thanks. All right. And that's it for today's show. I hope you found it insightful and entertaining. If you did, give us a like, follow, or subscribe on your favorite streaming or social media platform at Fun Views Podcast or funviewspodcast.com. Till next time.